This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Enrique Saboya didn't always know he loved marketing, but when he discovered his passion for bringing products to market, talking to customers, and delivering a message, there was no turning back. After stints at Cisco Systems, Twitter, and Lyft, Enrique landed at Kiva, where he currently serves as the Vice President of Growth. On this episode of Marketing Trends, he explains what his goals are as a marketer and how the work he is doing at Kiva is helping to bring about a virtuous cycle of lending and doing good all around the world, especially with women in underserved communities. Enjoy this conversation. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. We are joined by special guest, Enrique, what's going on? How's it going, Ian? Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, uh, well, it's great to be here. We're at uh, Kiva in, in sunny San Francisco today. It's a great day to be talking marketing uh, and a great day to be talking about all things Kiva. Uh, we're huge fans. I've never got a Kiva microloan before, but I've heard so many success stories and it's an incredible platform. So we'll get into that. But before all of that, how did you get into marketing in the first place? Well, before I go into that, I'll make sure you make a loan on Kiva before you leave the building. <laughs> there we go. So, But um, great question. One way or another, I, I actually feel like I've been in marketing my whole career. But the way that it started was early in my career, I was in sales which really when you think about it, is just a part of the marketing funnel. But for the first five years of my career, I was doing sales and I was, I'm originally Brazilian. So I was doing international business development, um, working with an American company in Chicago and doing business development in South America. So I split my time between Chicago and Brazil mostly. And we were pretty successful at selling these tools that had been built originally for the US and European market into South America. And at that point, we started to think about wait, this market has real potential. How about we just develop some tools and products for Latin America? And I was a big part of that process. And that's when I discovered, wait a minute, thinking about the customer, thinking about building a product, thinking about bringing a product to market is a lot more interesting than sending cold emails. Yeah. So that's when I decided I want to pivot and go completely into marketing. And uh, I decided to go back to school and and to facilitate that pivot. I, I went to Kellogg to get my MBA at Northwestern University. And um, that's how um, I pivoted completely to be 100% focused on marketing. But it was really that sales experience that gave me that foundation of interacting with customers day in and day out, understanding their, their, their needs, making sure that we're delivering on that need is what really got me interested in doing it in scale uh, through the marketing department. So flash forward to today. Tell me a little bit about your role as head of marketing brand at Kiva. That is a great question. So as you know very well, Kiva enables people every year to pool lending contributions as little as $25 and provide financial access to entrepreneurs, farmers, students all over the world. And since its beginning, we've made over $1.4 billion in loans to millions of people across the world. So I manage the full fu- the full marketing funnel. So how do we get more people aware of Kiva? How do we get more people to make loans on Kiva? 
to find someone to connect around the world and, and support that person. And then to, to create a, a, a virtuous cycle of, of lending and of doing good and of supporting people globally. So the, the success metric for us is, are we getting more users to try Kiva and to become loyal lenders on the Kiva.org platform? And I'm curious because, you know, you've had stints in your career at Twitter and mm-hmm. Lyft and a lot of places that are really powerful platforms. Um, and, uh, and Kiva is, you know, similar but different, extremely powerful, connects people. And we'll get into some of the other pieces of your career. But for Kiva, what is the kind of like sales process look like? If somebody, um, you know, if somebody out there is, you know, a farmer in, you know, name a country mm-hmm. and needs to get an additional thousand dollars to buy mm-hmm. blank, how does that work? We operate in over 80 countries and we have local partners. We, we, we deal with borrowers both directly and through partners, which we call MFIs, which I'm blanking what they stand for, but, <laughs> but they are local partners that work directly with the borrowers. What they do is they will, they will work with that, with that partner, tell their story and say, hey, look, here's, um, I'm starting a sewing business or I'm, I'm a farmer or I need a loan to go to school or I need to, to build plumbing in my house and I don't have access to loans through the, through the, the normal or uh, standard financial means. Which, by the way is a horrific process. I don't know if any of our listeners out there have ever tried to actually get a business loan. It's absolutely awful. It's a terrible, terrible experience. And most of the time, you know, you need a loan because you need to figure out, you know, something for your business. And um, the vast majority of the time, the lending process is set up so that you specifically can't get a loan for that reason. <laughs> like, it seems like you should be able to, they're like, well, you know, put your personal credit and all that sort of stuff. And I understand there's a lot of complexity there, but to a user, it's a horrific experience. That's right. And that's, an, and your experience is, is a very common one in the United States. Now imagine you go to a country that doesn't have a reliable credit score, yep. where you don't have a credit card and a history of your own transactions, um, where you don't even have a bank account to begin with. Yep. Right. Now you can multiply those challenges by a thousand. So we work with these partners on the field where these borrowers can go to them and apply for a loan and tell their story and say, look, I'm, my name is Enrique. I need a loan for, to, to pay for education, for example. And, and they will go through a vetting process, which varies from country to country. And once they get through that vetting process, um, they get to post it on the website. And once they get on the website, then you and I or anybody can go to Kiva.org and search for anybody who they would like to support. For example, I'm Brazilian, so I love to support borrowers from Brazil. My wife, for example, loves to support people who are building plumbing in their homes because she can imagine how difficult life would be if she didn't have a working toilet. Yeah. Right? And everyone who goes to Kiva has a special reason to support somebody, whether it's a personal experience or something they can relate to. And once they're on the website, people can support them with as little as $25. And the loans vary from sometimes I need $200 to buy a cow to I need a few thousand dollars to, to buy machinery for, 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 a, new, for a new factory. Mm-hmm. Um, and once you fund them, they get the money and they get to, they get to tell their story to the community who lent their money. Mm-hmm. So, they, so once you make a loan to somebody, you're going to hear back from them and say, how's the loan going? How's progress going? And one of the coolest things about Kiva is that the reason why those people have a hard time getting loans is that the market prices them as very risky. But the reality is 
Kiva's been around for 15 years, about 15 years. 97% on average of every dollar that's lent through Kiva is repaid. That's incredible. So, and once you get that money back, you can actually go and support another person. Yeah. So those same $25, you can help dozens of people um, with those same $25 meant much, uh, uh, very, very often. So um, it's a really, it's a tested and true process. It's something we've been doing for, um, again, almost 15 years. And we've been able to help millions of people. So as you came into the role and you were thinking about, you know, what does marketing look like at Kiva, how you could use some of those experiences from your past, um, how did you think about it? Like, you know, it's it truly is a marketplace which comes with, uh, you know, levels, exponential levels of complexity. Um, you know, there's like two sides, two-sided marketplace. Mm-hmm. Um, although, you know, I'm, I'm curious, would... Do you have an issue or with the borrower side? Like maybe not so much, um, but I'm curious, like what, what do the marketing functions look like yeah. and, and how you mix between like, you know, brand and then filling a funnel and all that stuff? Yeah, it's a great question. What's interesting about Kiva is that it's, if you look at the marketing function, it's like the marketing function of any consumer brand, right? We have a value proposition. We use this exact same channels like paid advertising, organic, PR, um, to drive people into the funnel to be aware of Kiva, and then we use all of the 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 most up to date technology tools that we have to engage with our users, whether it is email, in app, push notifications, um, uh, and, and, and on on our website we we run very fast experimentation on our website and things like that. Um, but what's really different about it is that. Instead of optimizing for profitability, for example, we optimize for impact, which is just a very different way to run the business, right? When we're thinking about trade-offs, we optimize for how many more people do we get to help and support if we do X versus Y, right? And if it costs us a little bit more money, as long as we can fund it with budget, um, we're we're always going to take that option of helping more people, which for me as someone who comes from the for-profit world is a very different way of thinking about the, the marketing capability. Um, but we are, but at the same time, we can use a lot of, you know, what I jokingly call all the dark arts we've learned in the for-profit world, but do it for good at Kiva, which is really fun. So we'll, we'll, we'll use all the social media advertising um, and all of our engagement tools for good, which is exciting. And to your point of a, of a marketplace, it is a marketplace. And while we are far away from reaching the 1.7 billion people today who are unbanked or underbanked, there is there, there are times where we are either short on demand, which is what we call the folks that come in and lend, and or sometimes we we brought too many people in and we need to now go out into the field and bring and, and source more loans on the platform, which means that we have to make decisions together with our investments team, right? So we can only grow the number of lenders we bring into the platform as fast as we grow the amount of loans we can bring to the website. And while we have by no means gotten to a place where there are no people who need loans in the world, yeah. there's work that takes place and there's time that, that it takes to bring an incremental, uh, incremental large group of people who, who we can make loans to. So that's a, that's a day-to-day challenge that we take on and something that we, that just fosters a great uh, cross-functional uh, activity at Kiva. 
Yeah, one of the things we talk about a lot on the show is the idea of like only fight where you can win, right? Like only position yourself as um, as the solution to whatever it is that um, you know you perceive that your customer needs. Mm-hmm. And it seems like, and a lot of time using the advantages that only you have. Like right. it seems like Kiva, you would have a surplus of incredible stories. And to be able to leverage those stories in your marketing seems like it would be extremely powerful. But I'd be curious like there is kind of like the other side of those stories. It's kind of like the the Sarah McLaughlin music where mm-hmm. it's like, there is a certain part of that where, you know, when Sarah comes on and, you know, you see the puppy without the eye, like it is a little sad. And sometimes, you know, what you're trying to do with Kiva, like, you know, is potentially sad, but it's also much more uplifting and, and exciting and something that, um, you know, you kind of know where your money's going, you know what you're doing, the impact that you're having. Like, how do you leverage storytelling mm-hmm. uh, in, in your advertising or in your marketing? Storytelling is the most important tool we have at Kiva. And I think actually as marketers, what we're doing is storytelling. One, we have to figure out what story we want to tell. And then when we get to the telling, what channels we want to use to broadcast that, that story. In Akiva, it's no different, except that we have more great stories to tell than most brands out there do. For sure. On, a, on an average day, right? Um, and or if they have those stories, they're like two steps away, right? Like mm-hmm. that's kind of the, right. the thing is like their customer's customer is the one that's having the impact, right. which is awesome. Right. Um, but it's like, you know, name a platform or a technology that yeah. you all use at Kiva. It's like, that's empowering Kiva to empower other people, right? That's yeah. like the beauty of technology. Yeah. But you're not quite as close to the story, um, whereas like you are, are, are right there. This is the product. Yeah. The product, the Kiva product is supporting somebody, financially supporting somebody. And and that's it. So we can go straight into that story. Um, now, what's uh, I, you pointed something, uh, point something out that I think is very clever, which is there's a way to talk about charity or talk about doing good that can be guilt-inducing. Yeah, totally. Right? We have a, we have a term that we use. Um, we call it poverty porn. Yeah, totally. We want to stay away from that. That's not how Kiva thinks about the impact that we have. We think about, we think about empowerment. Like, we're on a podcast so people can see this, but if you look around the room we're in right now in the Kiva office, it's full of people smiling and feeling empowered by the fact that someone gave them a loan so that they can, they can directly change our lives yeah. and impact our lives. And we um, and we get new stories like that every day, right? A, a year, we we make about one hundred and fifty million dollars in loan volume. Wow! So imagine the number of people and and the number of lives that we're touching and the number of stories that we can create. Which is why we have a big network of volunteers that are out on the field to record these stories. Yeah. Right. We're capturing video. We're capturing photo. We're capturing interviews and text so that we can tell these uh, holistic stories in our marketing when we when we reach out to the to the to the folks that are already Kiva customers so that we can we can add value to their lives and say, look at the lives that you change. Look at the people that now live a better life because of the actions you took on Kiva.org. And we're acquiring new users also to tell that story. Why should you go to Kiva? Why is Kiva a unique way? to do good. If you want to do some good today, there's a number of ways you can do it. And they're all great. But what's unique about Kiva, and that might be interesting to you, right? Specifically, the fact that you can choose who to support, right? Doing good, it's often sort of a, a black box, right? You, you donate or you, you volunteer for a couple hours and you're like, did I really do good? Who did I help? 
And on Kiva.org, you you can pick the person that you're supporting. And that's really great. The transparency you get from understanding how the loan is getting to that person, who they're partnering with, with on, on the field, to hear back from that borrower to say, hey, I got that cow and here's how it's changing my life. And then ultimately, again, we have a 97% repayment rate. Most of that money is going to come back to your Kiva account. And then without putting new money on the platform, you can go and help someone new. Well, and not only just that, the... Um the person who received that money at some point down the line in their career is going to give back. Like, it's just how Mm -hmm. it works. I mean, like, I don't know if you have any statistics on that, but that has got to be super high. (laughs) What's really interesting about the Kiva platform, and that really sets our community apart, is that we are, we're overwhelmingly impacting the lives of women in these communities. Women internationally. Um, Someone just handed me this stat. Um, I hope I don't butcher it, but when you when you give when you invest a dollar in a woman, uh, the majority of that dollar actually goes back into the community and into their families and their children. So the the impact, the scale of the impact is actually much larger. And what's really interesting about the Kiva community is that one, it's over sixty percent women on the lender side. Hmm. So it's a so it's a site where actually most of our customers are women. That's most fascinating. Of, most of the users that are lending are women. But even more interestingly, eighty percent of the money that we're lending into the field go to women borrowers. And that's important, not only for what I just said earlier, but because in a lot of these countries, women are the women are the people who have the hardest time getting loans, getting financial yeah, independence. Sure. I mean, it's harder here. It's, exactly, <laughs> it's harder right? in the US. And it, that's right. So <laughs> it's, inc- it's so exciting that we are really filling a need for, uh, for, for, for women and borrowers all over the world. Yeah, that is that is super fascinating. Um, it's something that uh, you know. It's really interesting. I interviewed not for the show for a different podcast we did called Future Cities. Um, the person who is running uh, Habitat for Humanity, and they were mm-hmm. talking about how um, he was saying that the reason why we were why we had all these people building the homes was not like we were marketing it wrong. Like building the home was supposed to be the wake up call to the people building saying like, hey, we need to make change. But what they got out of it was like, oh, it's just a really fulfilling day building the home. And they're like, it's like, no, that's not what we need. Like Habitat coming to your your community in, you know, whatever like city in the US is not mm-hmm. a good thing. It's like, right. this is the wake up call that <laughs> yeah. all of you need to be participating in your community more, not just building a, a one-off home. And I always thought that was an interesting way of looking at things. I don't know if that's, you know, what Habitat's, you know, leadership says now, but, um, and they're a great organization, mm-hmm. but, but just the idea that I, I always think that that's like the classic, you know, confusion equals no sale thing is like, mm-hmm. what is your customer getting out of yeah. being a customer? And it seems like the customers on your platform really understand like that crystal clear value proposition, uh, and it seems like the hard part would be getting more people out there who don't know what Kiva does right. to understand that value proposition. That's right. That's exactly right. I mean, I'm always so impressed by the quality of questions and feedback we get uh, through our customer success channel. It's incredible. People are so passionate about the space um, and they really feel like a part of the Kiva community. Once you get in and you understand, oh, I get it. I get. I choose somebody for whatever reason I I, associate, I I identify with, and and then I help them actually achieve an improvement in their lives. Then they pay me back, and I get to 
pay it forward, right? That's a really, really unique for someone to do good at scale, right? The challenge we have is microfinancing is sort of a difficult thing to talk about. What is microfinancing? What is peer-to-peer lending? Uh, Wait, I'm making a loan? Like, I don't don't make loans to my family, you know? Um, There are some words that are really scary. Yeah, Yeah, you don't lend, you know... You know, I, you don't, I don't even lend my brother money. I'm like, hey, exactly. you just have the $20. Right. If this comes back to me at some point in my life, <laughs> exactly. then we're good. But that's exactly right. So um, the challenge we have as a marketing organization is how do we get to what's really beneficial to our customers, right? No, nobody, very few people, I would say, are, are going on Google and Googling, how do I participate in microfinance? No, totally. Yeah. Right. That's not the thing. Um, most people are looking for, I, you know, I want to give back. I've been lucky a few times um, and I want to do some good. I want to pay it forward. What are the best ways for me to pay it forward? And and how do we insert Kiva in that in that decision set, right? In that consideration set, I'm sorry, um, so that they can understand what's unique about Kiva versus all the other amazing options to do good and and we can be considered um, and then ultimately convert and and get them to become a Kiva customer because our retention rates are incredible. The, you know, w- once you get a repaid, 80% of our customers will go and lend again. Yeah. So um, it's really about how do we fill that top of the funnel, uh, which is, you know, it, it's challenging for any brand because we live in an incredibly busy time. Um, we live in a time in which customers are buying themselves out of advertising, right? Think, think about the media the media space today. Um, uh, when you when you're signing up to Netflix, when you're buying Hulu without ads, when you're subscribing to Disney Plus, what you're doing is you're buying yourself out of advertising. That's one of the main value props. Which means that wait, how do I reach that person now? How do I, how how can I get in front of them? And when we're, now you put on top of that that Kiva is a nonprofit, which means that we are incredibly careful about how we use our funding. Because if any dollar that goes into marketing means that it's a dollar that doesn't go out on the field. So we have to be incredibly, incredibly thoughtful and, and, and rigorous about our marketing investment, which makes complete sense. So um, that's the challenge, right? How do we get more and more people aware of what we do, aware of what makes Kiva unique in joining the Kiva community? Yeah, if this was a tech product, it would be like... In the first 30 days, like you position, like if you had an algorithm that could position, and this would, would not be something that would be a good idea, but for the sake <laughs> go, of argument. Go on, Ian. <laughs> um, uh, you position that the first project that somebody does, that somehow, you know, they get that back in the first 30 days, right? Or mm-hmm. 60 days or 90 days yeah. or whatever, a, a transparent time horizon. So it's like they know that the system works. And that they get the more immediate gratification. And then it's like, you know, after that, you were to go into like the less likely ones. Um, Again, not not saying that that that's, you know, a good idea, but that's that's the sort of thing is like people want to to know. And like this is like the classic. What is the person really buying? Mm -hmm. I would posit. And I don't know if you know anything on this, that it's not like your customers are sitting there at the end of 2019. Like I have a hundred bucks this year that I'm going to spend on charity, which one am I going to do? Like, that's probably not what they're doing. They probably come across Kiva somehow through one of your funnels and is saying like, wow, I didn't know about this. Like I can, I can do this 25 bucks today. This is fine. Like I'm just going to fire, fire the bullet. Or, you know, maybe it's after the, you know, third, 
13th impression impression that they are like, <laughs> hey, I'm finally ready to do this or, hey, yeah. you know, I got my bonus this month or whatever it is. Um, and, and that was top of mind in some way. But I would imagine that it's not like a traditional, um, you know, type of a thing because there's such a specific way to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's such a specific thing that they're supporting. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe that may be wrong, but no, I, I mean, I think, I think you're onto something. Um, one, I want to address your, your earlier idea, which is, it's not a bad idea. I think you're onto something, which is to make an analogy, right? It's the urban legend or of, you know, Facebook, once you get that 14th friend, yeah, you're now locked in, yeah. right? Every single successful product has that that loop of like, once you close that loop, that user now has a much higher likelihood of becoming a retained customer. Kiva is no different. And we believe a lot of that is once you're able to get your repayment back and help someone new, I think there's a there's there's a there's a light bulb that goes off it's like, oh, I get it. My number, my 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 investment or my my contribution goes further on Kiva.org than other places that I could be investing in. So we are actually working through a lot of ideas of how do we how do we make that feedback loop shorter? I think that, that I think that's the right problem to try to solve. Um, whether we'll solve it exactly the same way that you described it, I don't think that would be the case, but I think that's exactly the, 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 the question, right? It's how do we make that feedback loop really, really short? Or how many updates? Like, is mm -hmm. it, right. you know, if you are donating to, you know, Jill to buy a cow or something yeah. like that, it's like, and you know, she gets to I, do, so do they get to goal from just individual contributors or is it like a goal plus Kiva or like, you know, if she needs 200 bucks and like Ian does, you know, a hundred and then Dylan, our head of growth who's sitting next to me does 50. And then it's like open, that extra 50 bucks is like open for yeah. a month. Is How does that last part feel? So every loan has 30 days to be fully funded. Oh, okay. Yeah. So so let's say Jill, who needs a cow, posts on Kiva.org, and she needs $500 to buy that cow. Then people can come in, discover her story, and they can give as little as $25. But someone might be become so enamored with, with her story to say, I will give you, I will not give you, yeah. I'll lend you the full full uh, $500. However, more the, the more typical experience is Dylan will give $25, I'll give $50, Ian will give $100 mm -hmm. until we get to 500 and we get when we get to 500 we get to say Jill your loan got funded. Yeah. Um so it's really it's like we and actually what's really cool is you can see when you when you make a loan you can see the other people in the Kiva community who helped in that loan. Oh cool. And then you can actually build teams. So um oh, cool. and so for example I, I every loan that I make on kiva.org is associated with the Northwestern University team. And it's just a cool way to keep tabs on you know, parts of, you know, uh, uh, keep tabs on communities, how different communities are giving, what are they passionate about giving to? This is really funny, but this is, um, for example, the most two active communities on Kiva, uh, the most active teams are um, the Christians, the Christian team and the atheist team. Oh my gosh, yeah. that's hilarious. It's, it's amazing. It's incredible how um, it, it, everyone can agree that when you get to help somebody to be empowered and to improve their lives, that everyone wants to support that idea. So, and you can join any number of, of teams when you're at Kiva, on Kiva.org, whether it's your university, whether it's your religious affiliation, whether it is where, you know, your, where, the city you live in. Um, but there are all these cool teams and you get updates and some, you know, if you're on a team, you can say, oh, I just saw this amazing loan to Jill who needs a cow. Who else wants to help out? Yeah. And you can actually communicate with one another and, and drive up and drum up support from a specific borrower. 
Yeah, I would imagine that those um, network effects are probably pretty massive, especially because you're giving people who are already having an affiliation with each other a platform to to do it on. Final piece on Kiva, and then I want to get into some of the stuff uh, from from Twitter because I'm a big Twitter fan. So um, when you came into the role, what was one of the things that surprised you about marketing Akiva? Well, it surprised me, and it really shouldn't have been a surprise, but it's just the level of passion for the brand. Yeah. You know, um, uh, marketers spend their whole careers trying to get people to be really passionate about the service or the product that they offer. And I came into Kiva assuming no different. Like, great. I want, A big part of my job would be to convince people that Kiva is a great place for you to be engaged in. Um, and it turns out people who are our, our, our user base are just so passionate about it already. They get it. In fact, they feel ownership over, over the Kiva brand. They've been with us for years and years. Um, and um, you make our, it makes our jobs in a way a little bit easier because you're like, great, people really get in their passion about the brand. And in other ways, you feel, you feel so much, um, you really don't want to disappoint them. You know, it really, um, it really makes you think twice about and take it really seriously um, how to create the best brand and the best product experience, um, the best way uh, to do good you can in the world. So it's uh, that was that was something that now that I've been here for a while, I, um, it's obvious that people are very passionate because this is this is a very personal decision to go help somebody. But coming in is something I hadn't quite um, considered, and that was that was a really fun um, and different challenge to come into in different set of circumstances. Let's get to Twitter. So uh, I'm a huge fan. I mm-hmm. think Twitter is uh, is an incredible um, an incredible place. I know that there are issues with it. Of course, there's issue with any platform where you're mm-hmm. working with a billion people or whatever, 300 million people, whatever is on Twitter. And I think you know, from an advertising perspective, it's something that's not nearly talked about as much as Google and Facebook, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious what what did you what did you do there? I was a part of the growth team that was growing the self-service advertising platform on Twitter at the time. Shout out to them, by the way. Many of my friends are still there. Um, and it's a wonderful team. And it, it really, when I was there, it really felt like a startup within a young company. Right at that point, when I joined, Twitter had IPO'd about a year before. So they weren't, like an, uh, they weren't a startup anymore. But the self-service advertising business was. It was a very small, very nimble team. Uh, of um, of people who really wanted to crack um, the ability to convert regular Twitter users or small and medium businesses to to become advertisers on the platform, whether they wanted to grow their following, whether they wanted to drive traffic to a specific business or website or app that they were developing. Um, and it was really fun because there was no playbook for it, right? I mean, you, you always pick things up from other businesses, but but we were really trying to do things for the first time. Um, especially for Twitter. So it was just really fun to, apo- to approach challenges and problems with a hundred per- with all the creativity you could. Yeah. So it was, it was a really fun period and I learned a lot and I stay in touch with many of those friends. Yeah. I mean, you need, uh, we need some like Twitter classes for all the, all the folks that, uh, are, are people borrowers on Kiva. <laughs> they probably need those Twitter tips to figure out uh, mm-hmm. how to market themselves better. It's definitely every right? entrepreneur needs to improve their marketing. <laughs> That's right. Um, 
Yeah. So how much were people spending on to like, what was that target segment? Are they spending like 25 bucks a year? Or are they spending 2,500 bucks a year? You know, it was, it was, it varied a ton. Um, there were people who were spending 50 bucks because they wanted to get a few extra followers, but, but there were companies that were spending uh, like small businesses or startups that yeah. were only getting started who were spending tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Yeah. Um, and then they quickly graduated into managed account. That was a different thing. Um, yeah. But it, it was really varied, which made as a, as a marketer, that was really, it was a really fun challenge to work on, right? It's like at one point I'm, I'm working with a hot startup that has fresh budget and trying to, and hey, I want to spend all this money and I, re- and I want part of the, my marketing investment to go in and Twitter. And other times was someone who just, you know, writes a blog and just wants to get a few followers on, or like, they wrote a very funny tweet and they want people to see that tweet. Yeah. So they want to buy impressions and they want to buy, um, they want to, uh, they want to pay to have their, their tweets show up in people's timelines that don't follow them. Yeah. Right. So it was sort of, it was very wide and, and how to think about the product experience and marketing capabilities to do this at scale and in a segmented way, personalized way. It was really fun. Yeah. That is really fun. I remember, um, I remember when, the first time I was seeing like promoted tweets consistently. What's mm-hmm. the, who's the CEO at T-Mobile? Oh yeah. Or John Laguerre um, or whatever. He's or whatever. leaving now, isn't he? Yeah, but anyway. Yeah, he is. Yeah, John Laguerre. Yeah. I'm, I forget, I'm probably butchering I it, but yes. How to pronounce the name. But uh, I remember his account was always run. Now he has like millions and millions and millions Big of followers. Um, but uh, but I did always, I, w- I always felt like, and I still feel this way, and a lot of listeners of the show, um, I'm sure in the same boat where you have tons of people on Twitter that are senior executives or just any buying persona that are on there that might not be super active, but like leverage Twitter like their news source, right? Mm-hmm. They follow 115 people and that's it. And they stay up to date on those people, whatever it is yeah. for sports or this or that or whatever. And, um, but they're really impactful people and they're there and they could be buying from you. And I always felt like it was underutilized Mm -hmm. because who you follow is so intent-based. And it was something that I just felt like, and I still feel like is, is really underutilized. And I know price comes into a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, We should have mic'd up Dylan for this. Um, So (laughs) we'll give you some questions uh, since he's our head of growth, but um yeah, I'm curious, like what what did you see that advertisers were doing a great job of or some stuff that was really interesting that you saw or novel or innovative? I mean, what was interesting about Twitter is that the immediacy of what you're engaging with can be such a powerful signal. Totally. Right? And that's what really sets it apart. And all these all the networks have something that sets them apart, right? If you Google for if you Google Nike shoes you're telling us something very specific, yeah. right? On Facebook, given who you're friends with or the groups that you like, tells you something specific. Mostly the um, pixel. Right. Um, that that too. And on Twitter, it's, um, you know, it's a smaller audience. But that audience, to your point, can be such a highly engaged audience and an audience that is engaging with news and content um, in such an interesting way. Like, I, I'm a, this is actually after I left Twitter, but... One thing I saw that was really cool was um, Disney. What Disney Plus when they launched um, a couple months ago, mm-hmm. they did this thing, and I don't. Act, I it's a really cool feature. I haven't seen it really um, available to everyone. Where you could say like this tweet. It was a tweet about the Mandalorian, um, which is a cool Star Wars show. 
Oh, we've it already out. talked about it. Okay, the there show. you go. Yeah. I, I was a big fan. Oh, it's so good. Big fan of John Favreau, and and that show is wonderful. It's so um, good. In just Star Wars in general, um, I can come back to do a Star Wars yeah, specific we'll do, podcast. Hey, we'll just, do that. Just call yeah. me. But um, but what was really what they they said. You know, I think it was before the show came out. It's like like this tweet. Mandalorian is coming out in a couple weeks, and if you like this tweet, we will DM you. Yep. Every time a new episode drops, I love it. And I was like, whoa. What an interesting engagement tactic. That's um, brilliant. See, that's like, that is a brilliant marketing tactic, but it's an even better customer success tactic because the, I, I did that. I liked it because yeah, I was like- I did too. It's like, I'm like, I don't know when these are going to be coming out <laughs> and I don't know. And I just got Disney plus and I don't know. And I don't follow any traditional news mm-hmm. channels. So I'm like, how do I know when stuff comes out? Yeah. I think about that all the time. In fact, if any listeners have some type of, you know, capability like that, like absolutely send it our way. We'll promote it. But I like, I totally agree. That is such a brilliant thing. And if you think about like the evolution of that tool in Twitter as something that advertisers could leverage or like any TV yeah. show should be using that, right? Totally. Like this Sweden, you get it. You you uh, you get it right. You know when when I'm building content um, for customers or prospects, I'm always thinking about how do we create something that is timely, relevant, and engaging. Totally right. And I feel like that that piece of that feature or that tactic sort of knocks all three of them out of the park. Right, because as far as relevance, it knows that I'm like Disney probably already knew I was a Disney Plus subscriber, mm-hmm. so he knows that it's relevant to me, and he kn- they know that I follow Mark Hamill and I follow Star Wars, so I'm like, okay, this guy is gonna be, you know, it's relevant. Um, it's really engaging because uh, it gives me a really cool action to take. I can just press one button and I get and I understand the benefit, yep. right? So it's engaging, and then the timeliness of it is perfect because one, the show is coming out, so it's like really timely, and when I get that DM. It's like the show is here. Click here to watch that episode. And I have found over my career that when, once, if you're able to put content in front of a customer that hits those three marks, your engagement rates go through the roof, your conversion goes through the roof, your customer satisfaction goes through the roof. And I think that's such a great example of, of, a, of a business innovating to create advertising or in, uh, customer engagement tools that allows businesses to do exactly that. Wonder how much that costs, Dylan. We should look at that for marketing trends. That would be great. <laughs> Every, right, click yeah, here. We'll then, DM you yeah, when the new episode is we'll out. Just, great. Yeah, I'll share it from my Twitter, and it's like, hey, when you want new episodes, uh, just like this tweet. Yeah, no, I love that. I mean, and I and there's another segment of the Twitter sphere that I think is super fascinating and underappreciated. Um, and I don't know if you have any stats about this, but the like super, I don't know what they're called, but like active passive users, mm-hmm. like. People oh, yeah. like um, who, like, I'm trying to think of a good example, my brother or somebody like this, doesn't really like any stuff, doesn't really comment ever, um, yeah. just scrolls through the feed every day, like every morning, every night, scrolls through, follows new people, but doesn't really engage with the content, yeah. but is like a, a monthly active user, you right. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think that there's just so many people out there now that like every now that you can see whether it's Instagram or Twitter or whatever, who liked what, you can look at all that. You get more and more people that are like, I'm just not going to like anything anymore because right. I don't want people to know what I'm liking. Right. Yeah. But you are looking at, um, maybe you're looking at accounts that you shouldn't be or whatever it is. <laughs> uh, or maybe you have the burners like KD. Um, I think that those audiences are so 
like interesting yeah. to target. And if you give them a reason to engage, that's super, super valuable. Um, and, and they wouldn't normally be engaging. That's right. When I, when I, so I, I, I've been an avid Twitter user for a long time, but even early in my Twitter usage, I didn't really tweet or I rarely liked. Um, and, but even though, I'm a, even though I'm a New York Times subscriber, I actually rarely start reading my news on the New York Times app. Yeah. I have to subscribe because I want to have access to those stories, but I often get the stories directly from the writers on Twitter yep. because I follow my favorite writers. Um, and once they post a new story, I just click from there and I go straight into reading. So uh, there's so much of that. And then a lot of those users uh, also only tweet when they have a customer service complaint to make. Yeah, exactly. Right? Have you yeah. noticed this? That like, oh, yeah. if you call somebody to complain, you're on the phone for an hour and then you hang up. If you send them an email, it's a black box. You're never going to hear back. But if you tweet at a brand... To complain about something, 30 seconds. They're like, how can we help you? We're, DM we're DMing you. Um, so uh, it's it, there, there's there's definitely a lot of people who are more passive users, but who get a lot of value and engagement from from Twitter. I, I, I used to be one of those um, myself. Okay, any final thoughts on on uh, best tips for Twitter? What should our, our marketing mm. trends listeners uh, keep an eye out for? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, Look, I think the coolest thing about Twitter is that it allows you to participate in cultural events in a way that no other platform allows you to, right? I think as marketing moves into this space where it's harder to advertise to people because people are buying themselves out of advertising distribution, um, then one way to really get in front of them is when there is a cultural conversation taking place, if you can contextually interject your brand in it, um, you can get a lot of impressions and a lot of consideration from that. Like here's a, a great example was, you know, I'm gonna butcher this because it's been a while, but remember when there was a uh, when there was a um a blackout in the middle of the Super Bowl? Yeah, yeah. And Oreos yeah. did something really cool. I forget exactly what they did. This is sort of an old example, but there's just so many conversations taking place. Or even when the Peloton ad, they just came out yeah. um a couple months ago and everyone went after it. And then I think. James Franco had a brand of tequila. Yeah. And they did like, they they create, they did an ad, right, like a fast follow that had the same actress and it was sort of like a, a And it was Ryan Reynolds. Was Ryan, yeah, yeah, Ryan Reynolds, there you go. And Twitter was the place where that conversation was taking place and Twitter was a place that he, he interjected that story, right? So again, to go back, one great way for brands to get, to get in front of users is to participate in the cultural conversation that's taking place and make your brand relevant. Twitter is often where that conversation is taking place. Because that's where that's where that that timeline is is um, is where those conversations are happening. So, uh, my tip is if you can find an opportunity for your brand to interject in a story. Now you have to be careful; you can backfire. But but I think if you do it well and uh, and you do it in a thoughtful way, it can be a, a real source of leads, exposure, and and ultimately conversion. Speaking of interjecting, um, before we get out of here. We're going to do our lightning round. Mm. These questions are fast and easy. didn't know there's a lightning round. Okay. Oh, yeah. This is exciting. Fast and easy, just like marketing with Salesforce. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce. Salesforce brings marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce.com slash marketing. Check it out. Lightning round questions. Enrique, are you ready? Uh, I, I think so. Number one, what app on your phone is the most fun? Uh, man, I'm, I'm gonna, actually going to open my phone and see what's on my screen, um, what's on my home screen. I mean, look, this is kind of embarrassing, but um, 
I'm on Twitter a lot. That's the one that I get the most notice on my phone. Is like you, you, I'm not going to say the number of hours I use that my phone does because I'd be embarrassed. Um, but I'm also going to make a plug that uh, Kiva's coming out with her own mobile app in a couple weeks. Hey, there you so go. So keep, keep an eye out. I already have that on my phone. Um, and I'm having a ton of fun making loans and helping people from my phone now. So keep an eye out. Hidden talent or passion? Ooh. Um, hidden talent. Um, you know, I started, um, I started making bread recently. Oh, um, yeah. And I started making sourdough and get a good I'm, starter. I'm having a lot. Oh yeah. I've made my own starter from scratch. Ooh. Um, and, um, I think I make pretty good sourdough. I thought you were going to go with playing the bass. I, I do play the bass, but I'm mostly retired now as a new dad. And, um, I wish I, I wish I played more, more bass these days, but new one that I'm excited about. I think I make some pretty decent sourdough. My wife tells my, my wife likes it. So, um, I'll take it. Best advice for a first-time head of marketing? Think about how you want to goal your team. I think marketing trips up a lot when it doesn't know what it's trying to do and what success looks like. And, and it can quickly become a cost center for an organization and one that is not a part of the strategic decisions that a company makes. So understand the role that marketing should play in the organization that you're joining or the organization that you're ascending in. And, and be very purposeful around what you're goaling your team to do and, and how marketing is going to contribute to the success of the company as a whole. That's it. That's all we got, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thanks for hosting us. And uh, any final thoughts? Uh, no, thank you guys for having me. This has been so much fun. And sorry about the loud noises at the end. Oh, yeah. I apologize. Some, yeah, if you caught some noises in the background, that's just San Francisco. Uh, whenever there's construction, and it's uh, best. an angel it's gets its wings. Probably be the bard outside. Um, and check out Kiva.org. Come out, come help somebody, uh, come make a loan and, and improve someone's life. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. 
From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.